Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> Whatever. We're going to look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk, actually, is the way I see it. <laughs> uh, and even though we are studying the Old Testament uh, this summer and this morning, I want to begin by quoting three passages from the New Testament that will get us a little closer to Habakkuk. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's Romans. Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, Clearly no one relies on the law is just no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because, quote, the righteous will live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. You can kind of see a common theme in this. They keep referring to some scripture somewhere, and they're quoting some scripture. And where is that scripture? How do you pronounce it? Habakkuk, yeah. (laughs) It's in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.4. Apostle Paul quotes him twice, the writer of Hebrews as well. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faith. Here in the Old Testament, this little obscure minor prophet, the righteous will live by their faith. Right in the middle of words of judgment, and actually the words of judgment that that, um, Habakkuk is speaking is doomed to Babylonia. Right in the middle of it comes this little verse that figures in so prominently to Paul's argument in Romans and Galatians, that we are saved by our faith, that we are justified not by our efforts, saved not by our good works, but we are saved by faith, by putting our trust in God. This one little verse became pivotal for Martin Luther in the Reformation. He was racked with guilt, beating himself up over sin, trying to live up to God's standard, an inability to, to live the way he thought God wanted him to live. And he stumbled across Habakkuk 2.4. He stumbled across it in Romans and then went back to the Old Testament, and it set him free. Salvation by faith alone. One of the rallying cries of the Reformation was sola fide, which is Latin for faith alone. Faith alone. And Luther discovered it when he stumbled across this little text. Habakkuk. We're going to try to see how it all fits with what Habakkuk's doing. A reading of first, the first two of the three chapters of Habakkuk, and you might not see it. Habakkuk actually is struggling with God. He's questioning God. Some say he's even complaining and whining to God. Why does God let violence and injustice go on? Why is God silent? Why would he use an evil people like the Babylonians to judge his own people, the Israelites? But in the midst of his struggle, God speaks and God reminds Habakkuk how he has acted in the past on behalf of his people. And he calls Habakkuk to trust him no matter what. He is in control. Trust him. Even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, he says, live by faith and trust God. This is what we've been saying each week, and I say it again, that the message of the minor seems to major on doom until we see it as part of a bigger message, our loving God calling his people back to holy and hopeful living aligned with his good purposes. At first, Habakkuk doesn't seem to major on doom. In fact, Habakkuk is wondering why God won't send doom on Judah, his own people. He can see that things have really unraveled and gotten to a horrible place. It's a sort of delayed doom, but God speaks and Habakkuk listens and ends his little book on this high point of praise that Sandy just read for us. No matter what happens, yet will I rejoice in my God and will trust and live by faith in him. And there's something here for all of us as well. Today, as Habakkuk moves from wondering about delayed doom to a high point of praise, 
we can learn to rise above our circumstances and live by faith in a trustworthy God. I have a simple little outline this morning. Actually, Sandy's outline was pretty good. I could have used that if I'd only known. But um, my first point is that there's a little question and answer session going on between Habakkuk and God in the first part of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And then Habakkuk uh, prays. It's time for Habakkuk to pray. He's trying to figure it all out. And then finally, this point about living by faith today. So we're going to jump into this question and answer time. And actually, we need a little historical review. I did it on the first Sunday we started this series, and we're going to do it again. So I need 15 volunteers right away. Don't hesitate. You don't have to say anything. I, young, old, I just need you up here real quick. Now, come on, come on, come on. You just have to hold something, all right? Come on. How, how quick do you want to get to lunch? Come on, let's go. So, <laughs> okay, so um, Michael, we'll give you that. Oops, sorry. Oops, nope. Okay, if you're going to start, okay. Somebody be the first one and then stop. Okay, there you go. All right, creation, fall. Oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. The Sunday that we did this, I gave it to Abraham and now I give it to his mother. Abraham. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right. This time, Abraham, you get Moses, Passover, and Exodus. Your mom gets, okay, Judges, United Kingdom, Divided Kingdom, which is Israel in the north, Judah in the south. After that is exile, restoration, a time of silence, and you get the answer to everything. Jesus. Okay? All right. So, so this is just the broad scope of, of biblical history. This is, this is the story of God here. It all starts with creation. Uh, the first humans make a choice to go their own way rather than God's way. We call that the fall. Then God decides to form a group of people. He calls Abraham to be the father of a great nation. Uh, he has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob. And then um, this family grows, and Jacob's son, goes down into Egypt, and yet God calls them out through the person Moses and the Passover, the Exodus. They get back to the promised land, finally, after hundreds of years in Egypt, and then God rules them with judges for a season, and, and then they get a king. They get a King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon during the United Kingdom. But then the kingdom falls, and a divided kingdom we have in the, nor- the northern part we call Israel, the southern part we call Judah. And then both of those nations are destroyed. They go into exile. They're in Babylon for a while. And then the time of restoration, which is Ezra, Nehemiah, that kind of time. And then there's a long period of silence uh, in the Old Testament until finally we come to uh, Jesus. So stay there, everybody. Now, you're going to have to hold some extra ones here. So northern Israel, Mark... Uh, They were destroyed in 722 B.C. They were attacked by uh, the Assyrians who just completely wiped them off the face of the earth. But then, maybe if you guys could hold that in between you, Tyrone and Mark, and then you you also have to hold this, Tyrone, so we're making this really a challenge. So maybe you can hold that for him there. So... This is a test. So what happened here, okay, so the, 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 the northern kingdom is destroyed in 722, and then um, and Judah is defeated in 587. But in between here, Nineveh falls in 612 B.C., and this is where Habakkuk is right here. He's in here between here and here because what's happening between here and here is Judah, things get worse and worse. There's increasing idolatry. There's declining morals. There's increasing violence and injustice all through Judah. It's bad, and, and Habakkuk's going, why haven't you destroyed them yet. Thank you, everybody. That's great. You just put them on the floor. Thanks. Uh, Give them a hand. Now you know Bible history, right? So that's where that fits, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's so bad that a few faithful people like Habakkuk are wondering and questioning and asking, why don't you do something about the injustices of Judah? 
How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see the sin and misery all around me? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and useless, and there's no justice given in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, and and justice is perverted with bribes and trickery. This is Habakkuk talking about his own people. That's how bad it was. And the Lord comes back with this answer. I will destroy them. I'm sending the Babylonians to defeat them. The Lord replied, Habakkuk 1, 5 to 6, Look at the nations and be amazed. Watch and be astounded at what I will do. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians to be a new power on the world scene. They are a cruel and violent nation who will march across the world and conquer it. God is saying, you're not going to believe this. This evil people, Babylon, is my instrument of judgment. And the best summary of Habakkuk's response is, the Babylonians, the Babylonians, why use a people even more wicked than Judah? And Habakkuk says then, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, is your plan in all of this to wipe us out? Surely not. O Lord, our rock, you have decreed the rise of these Babylonians to punish and correct us for our terrible sins. You are perfectly just in this. But will you, who cannot allow sin in any form, stand idly by while they swallow us up? Should you be silent while the wicked destroy people who are more righteous than they? Now, some look at this and ask, is it okay for Habakkuk to talk like this to God? And he's questioning God's plan here. Is Habakkuk being just a little too complainy? Even maybe a little bit whiny? (laughs) Reminds me of one of my favorite, I get a little weekly email called Church Last from Christianity Today and one from a few years back. There's a woman in in a prayer meeting saying, Lord, we bring all these prayer requests to you, although a lot of them sound like whining to me. So yeah, maybe you've been in a prayer meeting like that. But Habakkuk is not whining. He is is honestly seeking God. Habakkuk knows God. He knows God cannot tolerate injustice. He knows that injustice is inconsistent with God's nature. Habakkuk hears God, and in effect God says, after I've used them to judge my people, I'll judge them too. Trust me, live by faith. After I've used the, the Babylonians to judge my people, Judah, I will judge Babylonia too. Trust me and live by faith. In a sense, God's saying, you have to trust my timing in this, Habakkuk. In verses, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, he says, but these things I plan won't happen right away. And slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faith. That's you, Habakkuk. God's saying, that's you, Habakkuk. That's you uh, and a Judah that will first be judged, then purified, then restored. Remember, restoration was way down here just before Jesus. And God says to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. The rest of chapter 2 is some more answers from God and it goes into the evils of the Babylonians. Um, But what happens at the end of chapter 2, as Habakkuk is called out of this question-and-answer phase into a time to pray. And we could ask of 
this time of prayer? Is it just a simple silence before God, or are there some expectations that we would call odd, A-W-E-D, not O-D-D? In my journey as a pastor, uh, I served a church in New England from 1987 to 1992 in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, just south of Boston, and um, which was was a little... Ama- Interesting being from California and having only served in Colorado and Kansas before that, but we went to New England, and um, they were wonderful people. I did, they were wonderful people, very loving, and uh, I had a lot of respect for them. Uh, it was a much more traditional church, obviously, than here, and, um, but one thing I remember that we discussed and agonized over in meeting after meeting was silence in the sanctuary before worship. Who grew up in a church where you were quiet in church? Yeah. Okay. Meeting after meeting, we'd post signs on the door, and the ushers would close the door and remind people when they came in. Uh, but it was just a, they were a little bit of a chatty group there. And I realized, you know, when I, and, and, and so it'd get kind of, I realized, you know, it's not an issue here because nobody's in here before worship. You all come in. You know, <laughs> there's three of you who are, you know, visitors, visitors come and go, <laughs> plenty of room, and then, then you all show up during, we actually organize the announcements. Well, if we put this announcement first, nobody's there yet, so we'll put this, yeah, so. Um. But the silence, this idea of silence is often supported, people that stand for the silence in church before worship. Uh, based it on Habakkuk 2.20, which says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Have you heard that, seen that before? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I actually saw it written on the walls of a, a church when I was in Ecuador once on a mission trip. A lot of places, a lot of, in, in a lot of Hispanic countries, they'll, 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 they'll write scripture on the wall, and that was in one church I remember visiting. It's used as a command sometimes to be quiet in church. Be quiet. God says to be quiet in church. Many a wiggling toddler has had that one toss at him. It's God's house. Settle down. Worship. (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) It's not really what Habakkuk 2.20 means, though. It's, It's spoken by Habakkuk right after he speaks of lifeless idols. Lifeless idols, but this God is real. And he's in his holy temple. This God speaks to us unlike the lifeless idols. So be silent so you can hear him. Have your high expectations, have odd expectations high. The living God is speaking and calling us to trust him in faith. And Habakkuk has heard him. And he has changed and his prayer turns from complaining to a humble petition of praise and of awe. In Habakkuk 3.20, he says, I have heard all about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe by the amazing things you have done. In this time of our deep need, begin again to help us, as you did in the years gone by. Show us your power to save us, and in your anger, remember your mercy. And then he goes on and recounts the many ways God has acted in the past, and he refers to the awesome power and how he saved his people through the time of the Passover and the Exodus, which we're right about here this morning. Habakkuk is trusting the God who acts, and he's living by faith. The circumstances are still bad. Judah is still in deep trouble. The punishment to come is still severe. But in his prayer, Habakkuk affirms that he trusts God to work in his own time and in his own way. Habakkuk is living by faith. Living by faith. 
living by faith today can take the same kind of strength. The final verses of Habakkuk are beautiful, faith-filled words that we heard from Sandy this morning. They are persevering praise and persevering faith. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes in the vine. Even if the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the fields die, the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. He's speaking here of absolute agricultural disaster. It was a life-threatening or life as they know it then threatening disaster to come. Their whole life, their whole economy, their day-to-day existence depended on the olive crop and the grapes that grew and the flocks and the fields. He's talking about these things being wiped out. And yet I will trust you. I will persevere in praising this God who is real. I will persevere in praising this God who acts. I will persevere in praising this God who brings justice in his own time. I will persevere in faith. Those would be stunning losses for the people of Judah. They would be lost and they would be, they would be starving when this happened. Many of them would be dragged off to Babylon in exile, but not all of them. Some would, say, some would stay and try to eke out a life and many would die. Stunning losses. A fear for life. A fear of losing livelihood. In our current day, there are urgent situations around the world. Our students at, at Chick, the youth conference a couple weeks ago, one of their experiences is a whole morning of, of, of learning about global issues. And they spent some time in a refugee experience. There was all kinds of interactive experiences to go on that our students were faced with. Pictures and videos and real people. James Tang is a pastor who's from South Sudan. And he pastors here in the U.S. He's sort of the unofficial leader of all Sudanese covenanters. An amazing man. He was a refugee and he was there to tell his story personally to the students. Of sudden loss, of life-threatening, unexpected loss of livelihood, of family, of, of, of property. Just imagine the losses like that that were to come. In our own reality, well, in the refugee experience has touched some even in our room. Other things that have touched us in the room are other unexpected things, unexpected job loss, enormous financial loss, sudden death of a loved one, receiving a frightening health diagnosis. Too many of you have experienced painful divorces and some have stories of estranged children. Others struggle with untreatable fertility We're aware in our world of horrible disasters that happen, natural ones, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, these horrible fires that are natural and yet combined with other things that we're doing. Human-caused failures, accidents, collapsed bridges, collapsed dams. I was thinking about Kathy McKenzie. You're not here today, are you, Kathy? I don't think so. You hear us pray for Kathy and Pat McKenzie, and some of you may not know them. Kathy's one of our regular team at Alden Care Center on Sundays. But Kathy had a liver transplant several years ago, and now she's on a waiting list for uh, uh, a kidney transplant. 
She does dialysis at night and works for the city of Naperville during the day. Her husband, Pat, has all kinds of terrible back troubles, but now Pat has a very aggressive form of cancer, and they discovered more this week in a CAT scan. And I can't tell you, I, talked to, I just texted with Kathy a little bit this week to see how she's doing, and she tells me the horrible story of the diagnosis today, and she ends with gratitude and praise every time. <laughs> this woman amazes me. They're facing terrible losses and things, and yet she gives praise to God. And all these other disasters we hear about, tragic life-altering loss, often out of these ruins, often out of these ruins, real and figurative, come voices of persevering faith. God can be trusted. We can live by faith. For Habakkuk, we might even say it is a personal faith. Because Habakkuk speaks of the God of my salvation. 3, 18 and 19, after he lists all these horrible agricultural disasters, he says, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my, my strength. He will make me as sure-footed as a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. Here's almost a personal testimony of Habakkuk here, of of claiming not only the greatness of God and that he's working, but that this, this is my salvation. This is my hope. This is my strength. This is my confidence. The circumstances were overwhelming, but Habakkuk was strong in relationship with God, and he says that he was sure footed and he will be safe. We can have the same assurance in our relationship with God through Christ. In brutal times, in times of loss, in times of fear, times of unanswered questions. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And we'll get over the mountains because we're sure-footed and we'll be safe. Now, salvation by faith can be misunderstood. Sometimes we think that we're saved because we, we, we prayed a prayer, we accepted Christ in faith, which is good, but sometimes it's just as a, in, a, in a place I have decided in my head that now I believe and I'm saved, and that, that's a start. But Habakkuk's talking about living by faith. The righteous will not only be saved by faith, they will live by faith. Trusting God daily, acting on faith, moving forward knowing there's a God who loves me in control, trusting God in every circumstance, especially these difficult ones, and especially even in the simple circumstances when we kind of forget that he's around. Trusting God at every moment, especially when we wrestle, especially when we struggle and question, and yes, even complain, and maybe even whine like a back. There's hope to be able to somehow rise above our circumstances and live by faith in trustworthy God. God calls us to himself. That's where we belong. This whole story here was God of, of God creating us for his pleasure and, and being in relationship with him. And then after the fall, the rest of it is a story of him calling us back to be aligned with him and his good purposes. That beautiful song that Kayla sang and Chris accompanied during the offertory. The words, I'm restless until I find my rest in you, is from St. Augustine, the great Christian leader of the 4th and 5th century. He wrote it in his book, The Confessions, and he says, You move us to delight in you. You move us to delight in you. For you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. 
And Habakkuk's restless heart found its rest in his Savior. And we are called to do the same. Has your heart found its resting place in God? It's a good time to reflect on that. Oh, you maybe prayed that prayer, and I believe, and but that, that, that place of resting when we're restless in the heart of God. Another question to ask ourselves is what needs to happen for you to perhaps live more fully by faith every day, trusting God in all circumstances? Maybe it means trusting Him with the little things so that we're kind of ready for the big things. And the final word I'd leave also, too, is um, who needs this word of encouragement from you today? Sometimes we want to take it all in and we personalize it, which we need to do. We need to make this real in our own lives. But we need to remember that what God said to Abraham way back there, step one of calling people back, was I will bless you so that you will bless others. That's part of our call. That's part of our way back to God, too, is giving hope to those without hope and giving the confidence for those that lack it in the midst of pain and hurt. The righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, this little book with a funny name. It's packed with this power of your presence and your power and hope in the midst of devastating losses and circumstances. And yet you are a God who prevails and in whom we are safe. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.